I wanted to be a multimillionaire. I want to be the judge of how successful or unsuccessful I'm going to Take be. Take control of your life. I meant the hustle was still in me. Desiree Revis. Yes. Where does it all start for Miss Revis? Oh. Um, born and born and raised where? West Virginia. Oh, that yeah. was different in West Virginia. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, that's really ha- what has molded me and shaped me. Um, what's really incredible about today? I want today, your mic up, most likely. Huh? They're coming to fix it right now. Okay. Yeah, you can go though. Um, I feel like my why is coming out today, and nobody really knows my why, Beethoven. Nobody. Wow. You see me out, right? You see me involved in a million things when it comes to community, nonprofits. Um, most of the founders of the nonprofits I work with, I know their why. I know mm. their mission. Nobody ever asked me why. Why are you out here like a crazy person in the streets trying to save the world? Why are you out here like a crazy person trying to save the world? I'm the first one I ever actually that. so please you, keep that you documented. Are, you are, but I'm going to start with my, my childhood because you asked right. me. Please. So... I'm from a town, population 1,800 people. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody your cousin. Everybody, everybody knows everybody. Um, and I grew up below poverty. Um, I'm eight years old plowing potatoes on a farm. Like, you can be poor, but if country poor is a whole different it's kind different of poor. poor. It's a whole different level. So that's where my work ethic comes from. Like, I mean, I was little, like literally out in gardens and things like that. So, um, and it's crazy when I first came to Florida and I got into corporate America, I had a really bad accent and people would look at me like my IQ was 12. So I learned (laughs) to speed up my words because my little Southern twang, people treated me differently and I was young and I was a female and I was in a predominantly male industry. So, but my background is what made me. Growing up the way I did, every obstacle. And the thing is, like, um, I never, ever will say I'm a victim because I don't have a victim mentality. But my traumas, that's why I can connect with so many of these nonprofits because there's not much I haven't been through. And that's what people don't know. Um, So you're able to relate to a lot of nonprofits. I definitely can relate. I definitely can. And that's what has me um, so involved because I see myself. Um, but I don't see it as, and the reason I think I've never really talked about it and I shared is I never wanted anybody to look at me like a victim when, when I'm not like, it's been my mindset. Survival mode is something can't be taught in college. Mm. You know, there's not much, you know, you might, people might not know me and look and say, Oh, blue eyes, white woman. What has she dealt with? I was, I was three when my father died. I was five when my mom went to prison. So right there, I lost my parents. That fast. Like, at by age 10, my grandfather fell over and had a heart attack in my arms. And guess what? I don't know if you've ever been in a room with somebody when they pass away. It's not like in the movies. I, so, yeah, kind of been. you have. So, you already know. Like, you want to talk about PTSD. So, I mean, there is not much I have not faced. Hungry. I know hungry pains. Hunger pains are real. I remember being pregnant. And my stomach hurt and I didn't have any food. And I've been times where I didn't have anywhere to sleep. So 
that has what has instilled in me to not only work so hard that I never have to be hungry again or know where I'm going to sleep, but that's also if growing up in this small town, we didn't have the resources they have here in Palm Beach County. They didn't have the nonprofits. So that's why I work so hard and I give to these nonprofits because I see myself in, in a lot of these, um, especially a lot of these young girls. So, so grow, growing up in West Virginia, your mother went to prison. Mm -hmm. Your father passed away. All this happened at around three years old, you said? I was three when my dad died and five when my mom went to prison. So, so your grandparents took you mm -hmm. and... How was how was it growing up with them? <laughs> this is I'm gonna be real because I feel like now's the time to be transparent. Because if I if one person watches this and hears my story and it changes their life and they realize they're unstoppable, then I did my part. But um, because my mom had went to prison and we lived in a small town, my grandmother was. Uh, I don't want to use the word abusive. I'm trying to think of a better way to say it, but she was all over me because she could not let what my mother did to our family happen to me. So, I mean, I had to have straight A's. The room had to be spotless. I mean, I was an athlete, but if I looked like I was gaining weight, it was on salads. Like I had to check every box. And a part of me always having to be an overachiever comes from growing up that mindset and then also it was like the recognition I I wanted that constant validation so like by high school I was in band jazz band I played basketball volleyball track yearbook uh the newspaper I was a peer helper and I worked two jobs like I was I've been like this my whole life and a lot of it is because I was always seeking that constant validation. Oh, great job, Desiree. Great job. Mm. Um, and another part of it that stems that people might not relate to is I have a heart condition. So I'm actually a heart survivor. I'm a cancer survivor and I'm a heart survivor. So growing up That's, my whole life. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I apologize for everybody watching this show right now. You didn't now. know. Guess what? Nobody knows. Nobody knew. You know, I'm thinking like I don't have nothing going on. Like you're 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 a superhero. No, but, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing what God meant for me to do. God meant to use me as an example that you can do anything you put your mind to. Anything. You're unstoppable. And like I said, the adversities that I faced made me the warrior I am. I'm beast mode. Like, if I can fight cancer, if I can fight statistics, if nothing was ever handed to me, I never had anybody in my family go to college and teach me anything. Like, I had to learn. The women in my family, God rest their souls, they were old school. They stayed at home. They didn't work. I didn't have a woman entrepreneur to look up to. I didn't know what a woman in business was. So I had to find all that out on my own. So did you have brothers and sisters? No. So you My father child? died when he was 24. Yeah. Only child. Your mom went to prison. How long was she? Yeah, she's she's out. She's how long out. she had to sit for? Uh, she was supposed to be in there ten years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So your grandparents were very strict on you. Yeah. Did they have a lot of other childrens or? No, just my mom. Oh, this just is this mom. is a real small. Family. Oh yeah, very small. And then on my father's side, my father's my grandfather died when my father was three, and my father died when I was three. And then my father's brother, the same year my grandfather on my mother's side, the one that was raising me, died. My uncle, I've lost all the male role models in my family, right? 
my uncle comes to me and he was like, I'm going to be there for you. You know, I never knew my grandfather on my dad's side. He died when my dad was young. My dad died. Now my grandfather just died. December 23rd, 1988, two days before Christmas, my uncle Alex died from his heart. Um, and, and oddly enough, he made a heart survivor video for American Heart Association and it never aired because he died before it was going to air. I have a heart disease. They told me I'd never live to be 30. And that's one of the reasons I go so hard because I always felt like I was on borrowed time. I felt like I got it. Whatever I want to achieve, it has to happen now. Made me really reckless when I was young, too, because I wasn't scared of death. Mm -hmm. But now I feel like I'm, a, I'm a just unstoppable now at this point. Is so. it because you're 29 and you into 30? I got him. No, but um, so, yeah. so when did you decide to, to leave? Tilly, West Virginia? Tilly, West Virginia. Okay. Oddly enough. No, there's, there's nothing oddly about the things you're going through. Like, you don't worry. Um, I had a vision board before anybody knew what a vision board was. I had a map of Florida on my bedroom wall in my childhood bedroom. And I had all these little pins on all these beaches I was going to go to. I grew up in the mountains. You know, it was cold. We had snow. I grew up on a dirt road. Okay, that's how country I am. <laughs> and coal mine, coal mine country. That's where I'm from. And um, yeah, I don't know nobody from there. You don't know anybody from there. Mm. It made me who I am. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but the most genuine people, genuine people and hardworking people. But um, so I go to sleep looking at this map of Florida. I'd wake up looking at this map of Florida. And I said, you know, when I when I graduate high school, I'm out. I'm going to go to Florida. I didn't even know why. I'd never been to Florida. And then, oddly, not oddly, look where I am. I had a vision board before it was a thing. The mm. map of Florida. Like, this is your this is your physical vision board. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't talk about her like that. Um, What's her name? What's her name? I change it every week. So yeah. I don't have a name. I don't I don't have a name for her this week. Um, yeah. but she was Sally last week. Sally. Okay, Sally. So today, I don't know. I come up with a name before the show was out. Okay. So when you decided to go down to Florida, yeah, how was your grandparents? Were they okay with it? Were they nervous about it? Or they just knew you were a superhero already? At 10, my grandfather had the heart attack and died in my arms. Oh, you did say Yeah. That. In fact, I remember them saying that I they were shocked that I would even speak after that. Like, that was traumatic. That mm. was very traumatic. Um, we were swimming in a lake, and he had a massive heart attack, and he was 6'3". And I haven't grown since fifth grade. I was 5'4 back then. <laughs> and I'm trying to hold him out of the water to keep him from going under and scream for help. So, yeah. Oh. Um, so it was just my grandmother. And what happened is I came down here for spring break and I loved it. I loved it. I just knew I wanted to be here. And I kept coming back and forth, back and forth. And, um, and I ended up moving down here. And I think it was God, because for me to leave the only place I really knew, for me to go out of my comfort zone, to not have a community here, um, it was just what it was supposed to happen. And you had so, no fear? Nah. No, I didn't. That's why it was meant to be. So why do you, so do you believe that you had no fear just because it was meant to be or because of some of the trial and error you've been through already? Um... I think I had no fear because, once again, I thought I was living on borrowed time, and this is where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I also knew there was more opportunities here than there were in West Virginia. So when once they told you that you might die before 30, 
Like, what did that do for you? Was it, you said that was one of your motivations to actually go harder? It was because, I mean, it's psychological. Like, if you were told you had 24 hours left, what would you do? Wrong guy. Wrong I'll guy. Do, I do a lot of wild things. Okay, exactly. So, um, with me, some of the hardest things were parents didn't want me around because I was, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, a liability. Rebel. No, I was a liability. They were afraid something was going oh, to happen. Oh, I see to what you said. Okay. My health, because, you know, like I remember, I mean, sometimes I would pass out, different things would happen. I should have never played sports, but I love sports. So I had a yeah. heart monitor I had to wear, and they would strap it on my back and tape it up, and I look like the hunchback of Notre Dame, and I'm out there playing sports. Like I didn't care. Like I was going to wow. live my life, I was going to do what I wanted to do. And that's kind of why I've been so successful because I'm very stubborn and I'm very determined and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to take no for an answer. That's super dope. So, super. And then how, how was your relationship with your mother through that whole thing? Um, I didn't have much of a relationship with my mom and I feel like, I feel like she feels like she let me down, mm. you know? Um, but she was a baby herself when she had me and then, she woke up and her husband, he's dead. He's next to her. That did a lot to her psychologically. And then a year, year and a half later, she's she's in prison. So um, I don't hold anything against her. She was doing the best that she could, you know? And I love her, but it's kind of hard to have that relationship with somebody that you don't have that history to. So, so yeah. So then once once you got here... Like, how did you dive right in? So did you have somebody else here or you just went to school and you found your way? I didn't go to school here. I went to school in West Virginia. I, oh, I, I went to school. You... I went to school up there. I would come down here for spring, spring break. break. And okay. then I was like, yeah, yeah this is meant for me down here. Um, when I came down here, I really didn't. I met some people. I met some people. But I didn't have a support system like that. Um I got involved with the... How old were you? Sorry to cut you off when you got down here. 23, maybe? I think I've been here like 20 years now. And by yourself, 23, came down here? Um. Well, I have a daughter. Okay. So I brought my daughter down. I got established first, and then I brought her down. Um. And that was hard, being a single mom in a area that, you know, I didn't have support. So I had to hustle really, really hard. Um. But yeah... So I came down here. I think I was 23 when I came down here permanently. So yeah. So how did you and what excuse me, once you got down, you got a job and how you started building? Um I started networking before I knew, knew what networking was. You know, I was working in nightclubs, we were running different events. Um Awesome. Guerrilla marketing, you know, back before there was social media and you had to be in the streets with the flyers. Um, uh, Dizzy, Clean Face, Flores. Uh, we used to do events down at Club Boca. Uh, me and Sean, we were at resort. Um, we, I just was in the, uh, the nightlife. Um, but then what I got, I got burnt out. I got burnt out because back then, you know, a lot of people were on drugs. Let's be real. In the night in life entertainment, everybody's sleeping with everybody. And I just, it wasn't for me. So what happened was I I wrote poetry since before I knew what poetry was. Like I have mm. notebooks, the pages have turned yellow. Like when my grandfather died, I wrote about it and it rhymed. I didn't even know what a poem was. 
And I started a poetry event. And I had never even performed until my poetry event. And from that, it kind of catapulted into I became more community-based, more um, community-driven. And that kind of like opened me up to a lot of other things as well. But as far as corporate America goes, I met this gentleman at a Christmas party that we were putting together. And he said, how do you feel about selling air conditioners? And I'm like 23. I know nothing about selling anything. I went to school for sociology and psychology. And um, he said, with your personality, you don't have to know. So I put my baby resume together and I had no experience. It was a Fortune 500 company. I showed up and he was like the regional director and hired me on the spot. I didn't know what a cold call was. I didn't know what anything was. All I knew is I had an opportunity. I was going to be able to pay my bills and not have to hustle so hard. And I, I was a sponge. I learned anything and everything I could. My quota was like $25,000 a month. When I left, I was doing like $130,000. So I got offered a management position. And I just never stopped from there. And I'm telling you, I used to piss a lot of people off. I was in my early 20s. I was young. I was a female. I had a strong West Virginia accent. <laughs> and I was out selling every man that knew what they were talking I didn't even know what I was talking about. It was outdoor sale. It wasn't. It was commercial. So like those large cooling towers where you need a helicopter to drop them. Yeah. That's what I was out there doing. I'm not an engineer. Wow. I couldn't read blueprints. But you know what I could do? I could connect with a customer and they trusted me. And that's all it took. And if they trust me with their business, I was going to make sure whatever they needed happened. So, so, so before we go into that 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 side of of your business and who you are, I want to talk about the arts a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, what you said was you created an event. You already you were already doing poetry. Never performed before. I had written. But not at even that kind of level. Like, I had been writing poetry. Like I said, I didn't know what poetry was. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So, um, you're just releasing, just I was, yeah, I was just releasing. That's why I find the importance of journalism, uh, journaling, creative writing, just having that outlet, that, that positive outlet. Um, and then someone took me to my first open mic. I'd never been to an open mic and I loved it. I was driving all the way to Orlando on a Sunday night. It was called the AKA and going to poetry and coming back and going to work in West Palm. And that's when I was like, back when my space was a thing, that's how old this is. <laughs> okay. I found Wilkin Brutus who now works for NPR and he agreed to be the host of the event. We never met in person. Uh, found the venue. We show up the first night and we had like eight people there, right? And I still remember I had the corniest poem ever. It was called The Stage. It was the name of the event. And it was like the stage somewhere I come to release my rage. I mean, it was just corny. And by the following week, we probably had 30 people there. Like within a few months, Beethoven, people from Miami were coming to West Palm on a Wednesday. People from Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, they were coming to West Palm on a Wednesday night for poetry. The venue got so packed, they got the space next door and knocked down the wall for the stage. And like, we kept that going like 15 years almost, just that one event. Like I had multiple other events. I had the Art of Poetry. I had Rewind with Will the Real One, Rest in Peace. There were so many other things that I did, but the stage was the staple event. So the arts is something that you always love. And then how did you get into, um, I, I definitely remember how you got into sales. 
When did entrepreneurship start for you? I want to say it was through poetry. It was through poetry because to put those poetry events together, the way that I did it, it wasn't just getting a space and charging somebody at the door. I had a band. I had feature artists. I had graphics. I had flyers. I had a door person. Like, And at the end of the day, it was all a gamble. So if it cost me $1,000 to produce a show, well, I better make sure enough people come that I at least get the $1,000 back and then have an income. So I think my entrepreneurship really came from that. How did you function with losses? <laughs> I took money out of my day job to pay for my passion. Yeah. That's not normal, though. It's so not you normal. doing that, how did you keep it going even when you took losses? Um, The people that it was affecting, the people that would come up to me and say, Desiree, I literally have a video now and it haunts me because she passed away from sickle cell. But she was like, if it wasn't for the stage, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive. I had a poet who was actually on a bridge ready to commit suicide. And he said, I called him and said, are you coming to the stage tonight? And he talks about that on stage. Like he has shared that story. So to me, poetry is so much more than an art form. It is therapeutic. It is mental health. When people, especially in certain communities that didn't really talk about mental health, it is a way to release your emotions. Like people come in there and you might hear everything from erotic poetry, but you're going to hear, you're going to hear somebody that's, that's been a victim of sexual assault. You're going to hear about somebody that's lost somebody. You're going to hear somebody that's hurt. They've been cheated on. Like, it's just a safe space. It's one of the few art forms that hasn't been canceled. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody gets canceled now. You can't say certain things. Comedians can't say certain things. You come to a poetry event. You can say whatever you want. They're not canceling us. So. That's a great point. I never really, yeah, that's you're right because I've heard some crazy stuff, and and at at events. Yeah. So through all the trauma you've been through, how do you keep on going? I don't have a choice. What's my choice? You know. I mean, there's a bunch of choices out there, but I don't know any. I mean, I have a family that depends on me, and I don't know. There's something I. I have always been driven to leave this world better than when I came. So I can't stop because somewhere out there, there's a little girl that was like me that didn't necessarily have role models that had a lot of things against them. And I got to find her and I can't find her if I give up. So do you, do you believe your, um, your hunger, your purpose driven? I mean, there's so many things that you do. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I'm, right. I'm, I'm all about that. You know, I know how I know what it's like to have all this passion and purpose and trying to put it all out there. But do you believe all that stems from your trauma and from the different things that you've Absolutely. been through? Absolutely. Absolutely. I self-diagnosed myself about a year ago because I had to <laughs> stop. I was walking my dog and my brain's like this. And I'm like, why the hell am I like this? And then it hit me. It really hit me. Everything from my childhood. You know, like I said, constantly seeking that validation, constantly seeking that pat on the back. You did a great job. Like, and that stems from the things that I went through as a child. In fact, I even went and researched it. And that's very common for people that have been, have come from abused childhoods. They're overachievers. Mm -hmm. We're the crazy ones out here because something in our brain is wired differently. And there's nothing to be, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. If anything, I'm embracing it because I want people that have been through hell and back to realize you make it through this 
guess what? Ain't nothing able to stop you. And like I said, this isn't something you can be taught in college. This is called beast mode. This is survival. If you can go against every odd place in front of you and be successful, nothing can stop you. You just have to figure out what you want to do. That's the thing. You got to figure out, you know, what you're passionate about and how you how you want to be successful and what lane to get into. But if you overcome the things that I know a lot of your listeners have overcome, you're unstoppable. Are you proud of yourself? You know what? That's a wild question. I am, but I'm also, oddly enough, um, I think I have extremely low self-esteem. So I don't think my ego will allow me to be proud of myself. I don't know. Um, What are you proud of? I'm proud of when I walk in a room, the way people smile. I'm I'm proud of the way that people interact with me um, and and some of the things that people have said, what I've meant to them, you know? So, um, like I said, I just want to be the cheerleader for people that... um, that don't really have the support that they need. What about cheering for yourself? I just do it. I don't need to cheer for myself. I just get up and do it. What so. do you thrive on? Challenge. What do you thrive in? What do you Challenge. thrive in? Challenge. Challenge. But what do you thrive in? Because you you're involved with a lot of different businesses. You're you know you're in leadership. You're community driven. You're involved. I just want to know what is it that you thrive in? Um. I really think it's the challenges, like the amount of things that I balance. It's like you would have thought I figured out how to clone myself because my calendar is insane. Um, And I pretty much can handle it all around Christmas. It got crazy around the holidays because all the toy drives and the Christmas parties and just special events that I, you know, I was kind of having a little meltdown here and there. And I was like, what have I done? What have I signed up for? Why, why am I overcommitting myself? But um, mostly I'm, I'm able to, to balance everything. Um, Everything, a lot of the organizations I'm, I'm involved in are like project based. So I never want to overcommit myself. So when people reach out to me to get involved, I always need to know the expectations and what is really asked from me. Um, So your business model and who you are is based on PR marketing, special event management. Could you give me some of your skill set on that and how you help some of these companies thrive? Okay. So um, I'm actually pivoting. Okay. Um, I'm about to revamp the website uh, because... I feel like I'm going to go more into a niche market, meaning everything that I touch is going to be based around art, culture, all the disciplines of art. So um, obviously PR, marketing, branding, event production. But I pretty much everything I touch kind of revolves around poetry now. Um, And everything that I've gotten to this point, I have not sought. I have not reached out to get clients. I have not solicited the workshops that I've done and the things that I've been and the people I've been working with. I I have been called like I just um, helped Gar. They're um, a national government um, government alliance of race and equality. They're a large nonprofit and a national organization. They reached out and had me book their poets for their national conference. They got my name. 
Um, Palm Beach Opera just called me and booked me to um, facilitate multiple workshops for their students. They're writing their own opera and it's going to be based on anti-bullying and they want me to get them excited and getting creative. Uh, the workshops I just did for Bridges, like I have not actively sought these clients. They have found me. So now what I want to do is take my experience and, and everything I've been working to and pivot the desire group to focus specifically on artists, advocating for artists, helping artists with their marketing, helping them with their EPKs, helping with publishing authors. So it's the same business model, but I want to specifically work with, with artists that are trying to take their career to the next level. And what, like, what does that look like? What, I know you said helping them with it. Is there a certain goal that you want for them? Is there making money or getting exposed like it's going to be whatever the artist wants if if somebody comes to me and they're like you know desiree i want to publish my first book then i can help them through that process i can help them with publishing i can help them with pr with marketing with putting the entire book together if um it's a poet and they want to start getting um booked for more appearances, we're going to work on their EPK. We're going to work on their social media. Um, if it's an event, like there are so many events that people come to me when they need poets. Like I, I worked with the Norton now. I worked with the Sickle Cell Foundation, um, with Rohan, with Black Lux. Like, I mean, I get the, I was in the car one day with my husband and somebody called me and they needed ballerinas. And I get off the phone and he was like, now, how are you going to do that? Before he could finish this, the, his sentence, I'm already on the phone. And I got the ballerinas. Like when people need anything, mm. when it comes to art um, and performances, like that's kind of where I have pivoted to. So. And oh, I, sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, oh no. I was just going to say, and that's kind of what the desire group has always been. I, I had worked with a gourmet barbecue sauce, so I can still do branding for restaurants and things like that. But I really am passionate about advocating for artists and helping them go to where they want to go to in their career. And for artists, it's going to be they're going to have different goals. So I can work and tailor whatever their you know, what their end game is, what they're really looking for. So. So I wanted to you said your husband. Yes. How like it's so important to talk about how great men is. Right. You know, I, just, I just want to be very clear about that. We're so we're so special. It's so important for everything that's happening in the world right now. Mm -hmm. But how how um how's the support from your husband with all the things that you're going through? I can do anything without him. He is my back. You said that again. Can you say that statistically? I cannot do anything without Chris Revis, right for the camera. He is my backbone. He I wrote a poem. I wish I had it with me. Cause I know loving me is not the easiest because I get very if there's a good cause. And you get me at the right time. Guess what? I'm going to be your cheerleader. And it's like I come to him with some of the craziest opportunities. And he's like, OK, I'll hold it down because, you know, we have a, a young son. And I'm also the caregiver for my grandmother, who's about to be 89 and she's not well. Um, so he holds me down. He lets me do every crazy thing that I want to do. We balance each other. Um but but this wouldn't be possible without him. Mm -mm. No. Have you guys ever done counseling or anything like that? No. So you guys just it just works well together. Yeah, I mean he's a poet. Um, he's a published author. Uh, he came to my poetry event and I didn't know because you know when you're hosting, 
you don't know who's in that crowd. You know, you might see a couple regulars and meet people, but he had met me at uh, my poetry event and I didn't know it. And apparently I think he had a crush on me. And clearly. Yeah. Clearly he had a crush on me. Um, and then we met at a Christmas party and uh, we exchanged numbers and information and everything there. Cause that's when I remember meeting him. Um, but we've been married for 12 years now. Congratulations. Um, and I, I honestly, he healed me. I had been in toxic relationships. I'd been abused. And when I got with him, he showed me what it's like to be able to trust somebody fully. So, What are two things you believe? You give me three, you give me five. It's not just about him, though. But what do you think that keeps you guys going? Respect. Please give me more deal. What do you mean by respect? Respect. I respect him as my husband. Any opportunity that comes to me, I talk to him first. And um, he loves me enough to say yes every time. You know, he doesn't want to hold me back, but I respect him and I respect our marriage to where, um, because I know he's got to hold it down for me at home if I'm out here doing, you know, what I want to be doing. So I think respect and I think we we have the same we're aligned. We have the same common goals. We want the same things in life. So he sees how hard I work, but he knows I'm doing it for us as well. So so you spoke of an alignment. How important is that in a relationship with all your relationships, not just? Oh, everything. Everything. Um, the reason I'm able to move the way I am is collaboration. And it took me a long time to find the right people um, to find the same like-minded people because I feel like um, there's a lot of people that will smile in your face and you will think they're your cheerleader and they are self-sabotaging. They're, you know, they're jealous. That's why there can be no room for ego because, you know, it, it can completely destroy an organization. And I finally feel like I've got the right people in my life now and we're all on the same mission we're saying we we want the same results and um it's it's definitely made my life a lot easier um and then you have to trust the people you're collaborating with because and why i say ego there can be no room for ego i'm great at social media marketing i'm great at networking i'm not a graphic design artist so i work with somebody that does graphics but they don't necessarily network the way that i am we come together and we're a force so um, collaboration is is really vital in my existence. But so. what about the alignment with your husband and, you know, like how important is that? And how did all that even come about? Um, Alignment as far as business or just our marriage? Yeah, I think it's the business because my, my question was to understand your perspective on the importance of alignment right. with all your relationships. You know? Right. I want to understand more in your marriage. How did that alignment happen and how does that even flow in your, your everyday life? I think, um, and I don't know if you're a religious person, um, I am. but I feel like Chris was my apology from God for every toxic man. God. Yeah. <laughs> Could you, pl one second. Yo, I think, I swear to God, I think every. Like say that shit. One, I mean, say that one more time, please. Chris was my apology from God for every toxic relationship I'd ever been in. Um, that's in my poem. I gotta find that poem for you. I like Chris. Yeah. 
God, men are doing an amazing job in 2024. They 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 really are. They really are. And um and the way we balance each other is because he is so opposite of me. I go into a room and I talk to everybody. He's more the laid back, uh, a little social anxiety type of person. So he will stay at home while I'm at the gala because that's not really his scene. And it's funny because um, we went into a sub shop one day, right? And we just go in there and I seen something. The person in front of me had something. And we start talking. And before I know it, I know their whole life. Right. Mm. So we come outside and he's like, we can't even get a sandwich without you knowing everything about everybody. And it's just like, that's my personality. So um, so we balance each other very well. Because Chris is what? He's more quiet and laid back. No, I want to know about the gift from God. I don't want you to say oh, that again. Oh, you just want to hear. Yeah. He is he is the apology from God. Because Beethoven, when I say toxic. Uh, I've had restraining orders. I got kidnapped. I got, I mean, I got some baggage there. Like when I met my husband, I was so um, traumatized that I would wake up in the middle of the night. I can't believe I'm admitting this on this podcast. That's amazing. And I would think he was trying to kill me and I would scream and run into the wall full force. That's how traumatized I was when I got with this man. And he loved me through all of it. And I would tell him every disgusting, terrible, worst thing about me to push him away from me. And he ain't go nowhere. Because what? Alignment. No. no, he was, God sent him to me. God sent him to me. And let me tell you, I was about to go back to West Virginia when I met my husband. I had gotten out of a really bad relationship. I was like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here anymore. And I was considering moving back to West Virginia and I'm at my husband or I wouldn't be here. I, w I don't think I'd be in Florida anymore. So, I mean, you know, I just want to give Chris a shout out. Um, it's, it's super important for me to, you know, put some light on great guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I appreciate God, him, God sending him down to you so you could serve more people. Oh, you know, yeah. Because of Chris, you're able to serve more people. You know, Chris and God have this relationship. Mm -hmm. just want to give Chris another shout out. So let's get back to it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for all the things that you do. Um, <laughs> no, I think that, that's super dope. I've never heard um, a statement like that. Like, like that's super powerful. Super powerful. Yeah. So I'm so happy for you guys. So I want to, and I I really want to stay like five more minutes <laughs> in this topic, but like it's, it's super dope. Well, I do want to mention one thing. Please do. Is it about Chris? Yes. Keep going. So not only is he an author, a poetry author, mm -hmm. but we're actually starting a publishing company. As you should. And he's working on a second book. But when this project's done, we're writing a book together. We're writing a poetry book together called He Said, She Said. And we're going to take topics and we're going to write from our points of view. You should write. I think that's beautiful. But I think you should do, write one more book called He's... My gift. What is, what is he again? My apology from God. Do your apology from God. Okay. I think that's an amazing book. I want to be able to purchase it um, before even publish. I'm ready to put my money in right now. No, but I'm, I, I want to know a couple of things. Dang, that was amazing. That really did sign to me. Um, I want to know a couple of things. What are three things you believe that helps your business? Mm -hmm. You know, that the tools that you use that you could inspire connect people with um, three tools that you use in your everyday business? Currently? 
or any, I mean, anything that you believe that currently or that you used before that could bring some value to people? Um, This isn't really a tangible tool, but one thing that has led to my success is being authentic. Mm-hmm. I am who I am. I'm transparent. Um, if you come to me and I don't have the answer and I'm not the expert, I'm going to find you the answer. Um, in business, there's mistakes that happen all the time. I'm accountable. I don't run. If there's a problem, I will find the solution. Um, but I think being authentic, people do business with people that they trust. Um, and I've never, um, I've never swayed from that. So I, I think that has definitely led to my, ex- my success. Um, and then, uh, I tell you what, chat GBT right now, whew, they had that around 20 years ago. I am really starting to utilize that tool and I love it. And it's making things a lot easier for me. Um, and even social media, the power of social media and the amount of people that you can get in front of, um, compared to like how it was 20 years ago when you had to be in the streets passing out flyers, you know, or back MySpace with Tom. You remember Tom from MySpace? Yeah, Tom. Tom was a beast. <laughs> yeah. That's like kind of like when it all started. So I really feel like um, I utilize social media, LinkedIn. I utilize that for everything. I'm really taking what I've learned in corporate America and applying it to the desired group. Because now that I'm the ambassador of spoken word with the cultural council, that title holds weight. So I'm reaching out to all these cultural organizations um, and my goal is to really collaborate and put some some of these great creative writing workshops together and even take that into corporate America. So for those corporations that actually value their employees and they really want to focus on the work-life balance, when you have a creative writing workshop, you you think poetry, but it's so much more. It brings synergy. It brings creativeness together. And it also shows people how to journal to help them with their stress and, and their own mental health and their stability. So um, so I've been using LinkedIn for a lot of that. How do you define success? Hmm. Me personally, uh, when I can wake up every day and I'm happy with what I'm doing and I feel fulfilled, Um, To me, that's more important than even monetary. Uh, There's been so many companies that have tried to hire me and offer me a lot more money than I make right now. But then I wouldn't be living out my dreams and I wouldn't be fulfilling my purpose. So to me, success is is feeling like you're making a difference and being happy in your own space and what you're doing. Where do you think fulfillment comes from? Like, where do why do you want that? Like, where does all that come from? Hmm. That's a good question, Beethoven. That's what I do. Uh, Where does fulfillment come from? I mean, I think we all have a a void in us that we're always trying to fill. Mm -hmm. Um, And and some of those voids might come from like pat things from our childhood and things like that. I think it's just naturally um, we're always trying to to feed the beast. Right. So. Hmm, I'm not even sure how to answer that one. You you got me good on that one. No, I you know because I, I have some other questions that I want to ask, but I like I'm blown away by your grind, your hunger, um, your consistency, and for you not to answer that you're proud of yourself. It's crazy. Because I haven't done enough. I think you've done a lot. I but, mean, 
yes, I have, but there's so much more. And I feel like I'm finally in this space in my life where I'm going to be able to to bring more impact. I feel like my whole life has got me to this place right now. And now is when I'm really going to start making the differences. So. So you don't think you've done enough? Mm -mm. No. No. Do you know you're enough? Yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I wonder if you believe you were enough, would you feel like you've done enough to be proud of yourself? Well, maybe one day when I get a therapist, I'll talk to them about that. Yeah, because I you know I know therapy because I my actual coach talked to me about that, yes, a couple of days ago. Um uh-huh. where and it did so much for me. That's why I was asking you this. Like she the thing she's supposed to be like, Beethoven, do you know you're enough? Right. Like, what are you talking about? She was like, no, like you're always looking for something new. You always want to do this. You always want to do that. You're bouncing around. And at times, I wait to do certain things because I need more to do it. I mm-hmm. tell myself. And I and when she told me, like, no, you're enough. And if you treat everything like you're enough, right. you'll realize how great you are and you'll just do it. Mm. Instead of waiting for it. Instead of doing all these things. That's it deep. did something to my soul. I swear oh, yeah. to you. Because we also work, we were working on this deal this week that we closed. And the person was talking to me about, like, only you can make me do this deal. Okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, because like, I'm enough. Right. But I'm, I, I understand the feeling of never thinking you're good enough and where and do you think that enough. comes from? I mean, it comes from very similar, um, you know, Things from my family, like I, I, you, always got to be better. You always got to do mm-hmm. more. You always got to beat this cousin that's a doctor. You always got to this somebody that's doing something great in my family. So, right. and I was the rebel, so yeah. it was never good enough. But the moment I realized that I was good enough, like it is something in my, I'm telling you, and I, I was proud of myself in that moment. Like I felt better about myself. I was like, man, I'm actually pretty dope. You know, I probably. I do a lot of these things. I service a lot of people. I do a lot of great things. But I've never, like, and it goes back to fulfillment also. So I never felt the fulfillment. I never felt none of these things because I was never good enough. It was always more. Like, even when I opened up the cafe, I never even enjoyed anything I've done. I've never even felt like I was present with anything I've ever done. So I was always chasing more. I was always chasing better. I was always, it was never good enough. So the moment I had that conversation this week, I swear to you, I felt like I, I took so much weight off of me. And I felt mm. so relieved. I felt so connected to actually what I'm working on. Because now I could actually work on it. Right. Because I'm good enough. Because you're not chasing the next big thing. But And it's naturally I'm going to do that because, you know, the hustle in me, the grind, right. I always want, you know. but And even it's not even that I want more. I'm just I'm good enough. Like, I, the I, it's like the fulfillment thing really was connecting to me in that process. I was like, yo. I don't know. It's just, and I, and I hear you like the things you're talking about because, and the reason I'm, I'm having this conversation about this stuff, because I know there's so many entrepreneurs that's, that's grinding, hustling, mm-hmm. want to get better and da, 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 da. And the moment they believe that they're good enough, everything is going to connect for them. Everything's oh, yeah. going to flow. They're going to feel like they're superheroes. Now they're going to walk into the meeting and feeling like they're good enough. Oh yeah. Like the yeah. contracts are going to flow. Cause I, I walk in the room as me. Mm-hmm. Authentic. Um, so authenticity is one yeah. of my favorite words, yeah. one of my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And 
One of the reasons, so it was never about your business while you're here. I, I never cared about the average person's business that come here. Right. Sad. I don't want to make it that. Like it was, right. But it was always about their authenticity, their grind, their pursuit of to greatness. It was it's always that. So every time I met you or spoke with you, you're always Des. It was yeah. never trying to be someone else. It was never right. anything else. You you always talked about the work that you do and the people that you're servicing and the you know the impact that you have. And you're always you never even tried to sell you. You were always talking about someone else. Someone else's thing. You know what's funny about that? Um, people don't even really know what I do. And a lot of people think I work for Digital Vibes because I rep them so hard. Or they think I'm with the radio station or recently the Riviera Beach Police Department. So it's crazy because I do. Like, You're with all those It's companies. not about me. It's about them. Um and, and that's what I, the big thing about being authentic. And that's one thing that like, I feel like I've always been. And here's another funny why. And then let's just bring it all out now. Um, it's, it's not, it's common knowledge. When you see me, I'm usually in a room of people that, um, I'm usually the one white person in the room, right? Beethoven. Think hey, of the hey, rooms we've not been gonna, in. I'm not going to go on that. Yes, you are. That's but uh, no, I want to tell you guys my why. So mm. my family's interracial. Okay, small town in West Virginia. The high school I went to, the only people of color in that high school was my cousin and my daughter's father. I had to fight because I seen how people were treating my family. Right. So I kind of got involved in the community from the time I was literally 13 years old. So even when I first moved to Florida and I didn't know anybody and I got involved in the Urban League, it's because I've always like kind of been um, I, I don't an advocate for people that are um, marginalized, right? Because I see the opportunities that certain that I see things that people do not get the same opportunities, and it pisses me off, right? And when I seen how my cousin that I loved with all my heart, I seen how people treated him. It kind of like it, it it evoked like a, a fire inside of me, and I've just never stopped. So, and because of that, you will see me in rooms where I'm usually. Let's be honest, I'm usually the only white person there. You kind of stand out a little bit. I do stand out, but you know what? Nobody questions why I'm in that room. I'm not Thanks. there for ulterior motives. I'm not there for anything. Like I have been in Palm Beach for the last twenty years, working in the community. And guess what? I'm being my authentic self. I don't know. Like, people don't really know why. They just know this white girl showed up one day and, like, where did she come from and why is she here? But when people got to know me, they embraced me. And it was never, like, why is she here? Like, I always joke and say, I, I'm not Rachel Dozier, right? You know, I don't identify as black. But you know what I love? I love black culture. I love my family. I love my husband. And I'm going to support any way that I can. Because I feel a lot of people have privilege and they don't want to talk about their privilege. Well, you know what my goal in life is? To get my foot in that door and knock it down and bring all my friends with me. And if I have to use that, like I said, people don't like to talk about privilege. If I have to use that, I don't care. We're going to make it happen. So um, You having the clarity and know what time it is is, is, is very valuable. Because a lot of people don't have that much clarity of the world. Mm -hmm. Or they, not that they don't know. They don't really 
do what you're doing. Like you, you, like you say, you don't care. You're still going to stand for what you believe in. Right. Right. And I almost feel like I got to educate some people because you would be surprised the things that I've heard people say in rooms. And I'm like, and it's just ignorance. They don't even realize what they're saying is, is just so disgusting. Like they, like I've, I've had to teach people, you know, like uh, non-racist things for dummies 101. Like, you know what I mean? Like people just don't understand, you know? So, so do you, do you believe you could achieve balance from business and personal life with this? Um, I believe I can because I love what I do, especially in the community. So even when it's work, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't. And how do you balance work and family and all that together? Um, I'm bringing my son into things now. Um, I'm teaching him how to be in the community. Uh, he came to Jingle Jams with me and he loved it. And, you know, he's nine and he was giving gifts to other kids because I'm like, OK, is he going to try to keep stuff for himself? But um, I'm really teaching him the importance of community and giving back. So um, so I, I'm bringing my family into to everything that I do. Do you. So as entrepreneurs and leaders, I think a lot of us have routines. Um, how critical is a routine for you? Um, it's kind of hard for me to have a routine because my calendar is crazy. So there might be a leadership breakfast at 7 a.m. one day. Um, it happens once a month. But, you know, the following week I have X, Y, and Z meetings. So the 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 calendar, keeping my calendar uh, organized is my biggest thing. So, so you just flow with I just flow with it. Yeah. Yeah. Is if you had what is there any question you want to ask me? Let me give you that first. And if there isn't, um, is there anything that you feel like you want to say that I didn't ask you about? Um <laughs> I I can't think of any questions that you didn't ask me. Um, I feel like we kind of talked a little bit about you, so I know a little bit more about you. Um, sounds like we were very similar. And why? Yeah, I've been I've been through some things. And you know what though? I feel like we need to embrace that. Like for the longest time, no, like I said, no one knows my why because I didn't want to share it because I didn't ever want anybody to look at me and be like, "Oh, poor Des. Oh, the victim mentality." No, I overcame all that. If I can overcome that, I can overcome anything. And that's why I want people to realize. Whatever they've dealt with in their childhood or traumas or tragedy, that built you. That's what made you the strong person you are. And you can conquer anything. You just need to decide what you want to do with your life. And whether that's run a business or or you want to work your way all the way up to a C-level position, like just decide what you want. Because not everybody wants the same thing. Some people are comfortable, you know, and that's fine. That's fine. So, um, Proud of you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. That has been real. Um, you know, keep being a superhero. Well, it's funny you say that. I got a whole group of friends. You know, we talk about collaborations and our nickname is the Avengers. I could definitely see that. Yes, I could definitely see that. But yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a lot more coming up for you. I know there will be. And I can't wait for you to come back to tell me more things that you're working on. And I know your future is bright. So keep shining. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. And say hello to Ashley today. You changed your name. This week. It's a new week. It's a new week. New week. Say okay. hello to Ashley. Right. God bless. Good night. Bye, Ashley.